Welcome into episode number four of the Designated for Assignment podcast. Rob Wong, Josh Goldberg back with you. As always, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and you can find us on Twitter at DFA underscore pod and DFA podcast over on Instagram and TikTok. The uh, Blue Jays, Josh, holding down first place right now in the American League East alongside the New York Yankees. And what a week it was, a four and two record on the road in Boston and Houston. Could have been a five and one week, which would have been just uh, absolutely incredible. But uh, Jordan Romano finally getting touched up for his first blown save and not only this season, quite a long time, 31 in a row. Jeremy Pena with the big two-run homer in extra innings to win the ballgame for the Astros on Sunday. But what a week it was. Like I said, 4-2 and two going into Boston and Houston, two places where it seems like historically the Blue Jays have had some nightmarish games, but uh, so far so good on the early part of this season. You and I did a uh, Twitter Spaces Earlier last week when uh, we uh, when the Blue Jays, I should say, were in Boston taking on the Red Sox and the Blue Jays picked up, I believe it was the 6-1 win. Yeah. And, you know, we said, you look at the road schedule this year, you look at this, this early season schedule, it's going to be tough with all these games and not many days off. If you can somehow find your way to be a couple of games over 500 by the end of it, and, and maybe they end up there. But right now, to be 10 and six through the first 16 games, halfway through this stretch, is really remarkable. Add in the fact that you're without Teoscar Hernandez, Danny Jansen, some of your guys like Bobachet aren't even swinging it right now. And it's just a really, really strong start for a team where you're just banking some big wins right now. Yeah, a lot to like. You're on a 101 win pace. And like you said, you just went. Uh, on a nice little four and two road trip against two teams uh, who were right in the playoff picture last year, right? Uh, both one series in the playoffs last year, played each other in the playoffs in Boston and Houston, and you're going to continue having tests. You know, you've got four uh, against Boston to start the week and then three more uh, against the Astros, but you can't look at the start to the season, considering also that there's been some injuries. There have been some inconsistencies, particularly offensively. Like there are a number of bats in that lineup who are not swinging it particularly well or have had some fleeting moments, but on the whole, haven't really done much. And you're still winning games. And a lot of that is on the back of the pitching and in particular, the bullpen doing a really good job by and large. Like there have been, I guess Sunday counts as a slip up, but otherwise it's been nails in a, a lot of one run ball games. We're talking about, I guess now they're five and two in one run ball games after the loss on Sunday. But how many games last year were lost in the ninth inning after, you know, somebody let it slip and, and, and you know, you ended up losing one run ball games. You never know what can happen over the course of a long season. Bullpen ebbs and flows like no, no other when it comes to baseball. But it's very, very uh, easy to be excited about the start to the season right now, uh, considering a number of different factors for the Blue Jays. So just quickly on the, the one run ball games, because I know, you know, people love to talk about winning run one, uh, one run ball games means you're, you're a clutch team and you can yeah. win no matter whatever it takes. And all you have to do is go back last season and look at a team like the Seattle Mariners, who won a lot of one run ball games. They had that negative run differential. Like it was pretty obvious that they were a solid team uh, somewhat, but they were a bit of a paper tiger, right? Like they were not as good as their record suggested that they were, um, you know, kind of similar to the Blue Jays last year. It was really that second half surge where, you know, they obviously come up one game short, but I mean, you hear a lot of chatter around the league that not many teams wanted to face the Blue Jays come the playoffs last year if they were able to squeak in. And you look right now, and like you said, Blue Jays five and two in uh, one run ball games. And, 
you know, it's been on the back of some, you know, timely hits from guys like Santiago Espinal or Raimel Tapia or what have you. And the bullpen's been fantastic. You know, is it sustainable to keep winning these? Probably no. not. We saw it today. I mean, Jordan Romano yeah. um, giving up that uh, two-run homer to Jeremy Pena, losing that one-run game on the, on the wrong side of the coin. But as I keep saying, uh, just win, baby. Like, that's all <laughs> all that matters right now for this Blue Jays team. Like, we'll get to a point where we can start dissecting, like, how legitimate, you know, are these players on this team? Because right now we still don't have a super big sample size on a lot of guys. We'll talk about some of the players that are really hot right now in a small sample. But as we touched on, just win as many ball games as you can right now to kick off this season. Because as we talked about prior to the year, this month was going to be huge. You cannot win a World Series in April, but you can definitely you know, lose one. You can find yourself behind the eight ball. And uh, so far, so good as we uh, touched on with this Blue Jays team winning 10 of their first 16 ball games. So it was a big weekend uh, in Houston for one uh, Santiago Espinal, a couple of home runs on back-to-back days, had another RBI double as well in the game on Sunday. Some fantastic uh, plays in the infield. Meanwhile, you got a guy in Kevin Biggio, Josh, who just mm-hmm. continues to scuffle. Feels like we talk about him every single week. Uh, you are the Kevin Biggio guy of this uh, podcast. I don't think we necessarily need to have the, the conversation about, you know, what is Kevin Biggio at this point? It's, it's a tough go. The guy is struggling at the dish, made an error on Sunday as well on a pretty routine play that, you know, most major league first basemen um, should make. But now you've got a guy in Espinal who's clearly running away with the everyday starts at second. I mean, you can even kind of play him against right-handed pitching now. You're not in a situation where it's a strict platoon, I think, where, you know, Kevin Biggio is playing against right-handed bats and you've got Santiago Espinal playing against lefties. Like, he's just doing everything right now to, you know, take this job and uh, run with it. Did you think April 24th, 25th would be the time that we'd get to where there's a clear-cut guy at this point as to who should be playing the the majority of the starts at second base? I think it's probably sooner than uh, myself and and probably maybe not a lot of people, but some people definitely thought that this might be a a quote-unquote battle for a longer period of time. And like, let's be clear that like, despite the clutch hits and I'm not taking anything away from Santiago Espinal, he's come through a bunch, a number of times and fully wholeheartedly deserves to be playing every day or close to every day at second base, his numbers on the season, like he still only has a 706 OPS. Like he's come through clutch. Cam Biggio hasn't, he's been the way better player and defensively he's been excellent. But like this weekend, he I think I believe he only had three hits against the Astros. They were all clutch with yeah. a couple of home runs in the double. So as long as you can make the most of your at-bats, I don't expect Santiago Espinal. Honestly, if he has like a 750 OPS at the end of the season, probably batting out of the eight or nine hole in the bottom third of the lineup uh, at the very least, you'll take that and run, especially if he gives you what he has been giving you basically his entire career and certainly over the last two years. Uh, defensively, then that is a very productive player in the scope under the magnifying glass uh, and considering the context of the rest of this ball club. So full marks to him. He has been really solid so far. He's hit the ball really hard. You know, there was that, you never know, like the, the whole, I know in, in the NFL, it's well, he's in the best shape of his life in, in training camp. And in baseball, it's, oh, well, he had a great spring training season and he bulked up and he's hitting the shit out of the ball and he looks amazing. You never know if that's going to translate into the regular season. And a lot of times it doesn't seem to necessarily do so. 
but so far so good. Like Santiago Espinal has put better swings on baseballs through the first two and a half weeks of the season than he has at any other point of his major league career. And like, yeah, there'll be some lean moments, but there's something there now where I can look at it and say, you know, there might be more offensive upside than previously thought because he did put on a little bit of muscle and, you know, critics would say, oh, well, he's not gonna be as fleet as foot. He might be more prone to injury. It could hurt his uh, agility defensively. You know, that's not happening so far. He looks great in the field. So uh, hard not to be really encouraged about uh, what we've seen so far from SB. It's been great. Yeah. And look, my memory is pretty terrible, but uh, I do recall as having uh, a prop prior to the season on how many home runs Santiago Espinal would hit. I believe we said it at 10. Yeah. It took him a long time to get the first two, uh, but he's already at two after those home runs uh, in Houston over the weekend. So he's creeping a little bit closer to uh, reaching that mark. But uh, like you said, the, the hits that he's coming up with, they are few. And uh, far between, I guess, aside from this weekend. But uh, when he's hitting the ball, he's picking up some big-time hits for this uh, Blue Jays team and uh, looking great at second base and just making some unreal plays as well. The uh, bench coming up big. It feels like a long time ago, Josh. It really wasn't, where everybody was crapping and saying that this bench was terrible. You know, get Rymel Tapia, Bradley Zimmer. I never want to see a Zach Collins at bat ever again. Like, who are these guys? Why did the Blue Jays make such a terrible bench coming into the season? And aside from Bradley Zimmer, who did hit a big home run off Justin Verlander uh, on Friday night, you've got Rymel Tapia coming up with some big hits. The guys, you know, stealing bases, scoring from first base on extra base hits. And then the legend of Zach Collins, who has become Babe Ruth, uh, seemingly uh, playing uh, behind the dish and picking up some big homers, that three-run shot tying up the game on Sunday. It's so funny how quickly things change. And we talked about it last week as well, how quickly things have changed. But I think you've gotten to a point now where, you know, it's still not great watching Rymel Tapia come up with runners in scoring position because no. it's unlikely yeah. that he's going to get a hit. But I don't think, you know, people are clamoring as much now to just get rid of all these guys and you know bring in whoever like I don't even know who you would replace them with at this point aside from you know Gabriel Moreno down in the minors but you're not bringing up to him up up to be a a part-time player these guys are starting to turn some heads and I mean Zach Collins is right at the top of the list like I can't believe I'm saying that but we're at a point where you know Zach Collins you feel kind of confident when he's at the dish up against a a right-handed pitcher because he is stroking it right now from that side. Yeah, he really is. He's got a 960 OPS and the 3-0 green light in that situation where he hit the two out three run homer against uh, Garcia. I believe it was in the sixth inning there to tie the ball game up at five. That was the right approach. And it was like, yeah, I want Zach Collins taking a chance on a 3-0 fastball, get me over fastball in the happy zone. And he, he took care of business. He did major damage with it. And he's made a lot of good swings. And that trade has already paid off. Like that trade's already a win in my books. I I know that there's just this kind of weird movement of Blue Jays fans who seem to really just like what Reese McGuire was as a catcher defensively. And, you know, they're missing him. And Collins didn't do a great job on Sunday framing. Like I thought he cost Kikuchi some strikes and defensively, that's not really his calling card, but that shouldn't really be what you're looking at. Like he's a left-handed bat who can hit his, I think his bat, can play as a major league catcher and certainly just in a major league lineup, whether he's going to play some at first base, he's going to get some DH opportunities like we've seen uh, already a couple of times this season. 
very encouraged by him. Going to be interesting to see what happens with Danny Jansen. Like, are they going to carry three catchers when the roster shrinks back down uh, early in May? Hard to see that, but he might make it really interesting, even though he, like, he's got an option if he's hitting and Kirk isn't as much. Do you consider a possibility where he is your offensive catcher and Kirk goes down and you keep Jansen up as your primary? I think that that's more plausible than it was, you know, obviously 10 days ago. Tappy had a good at bat today uh, where he sliced one uh, to left field, but then, you know, he had some opportunities with men on base, like you said, and, and was terrible. And Bradley Zimmer, basically, if he makes contact, he'll hit it hard and he might be a threat to leave the ballpark. It's just a question of can he ever make any consistent contact? And so far the early returns look like I'm probably going to lean towards no, but as far as it goes, those are decent bench pieces to have because when Teoscar comes back, you're not going to see Rymel Tapia in the lineup to the extent that he has been in the lineup basically every day for, for the last going on two weeks, certainly 10 days. And that's a better fit for him where he's a fourth outfielder, defensive substitution, pinch runner, uh, you know, put mixes in here or there. I think that's a more palatable situation than having him, you know, racking up 25 at bats a week. Yeah. He's faced way many, uh, way more left-handed pitching than I think the blue Jays ever thought he would have at this point where it's uh, obviously a tough go for him. And, you know, Bradley Zimmer has gotten a lot of uh, ABs as well. So it hasn't been a great situation, but as you touched on, I mean, Zach Collins, uh, what they've gotten out of him has more than uh, enough made up for, you know, any of these deals that they've made and some of the struggles that a few of these guys have gone through. And, you know, I guess it kind of indirectly goes towards, you know, Kevin Biggio moving forward here as well with the emergence of Zach Collins. And we haven't seen him play first base yet. Uh, Collins only has 11 innings at first base in the major leagues. He does have 166 down in the minors. Uh, we know the Blue Jays value defense and they're not necessarily just going to put anyone out there at first base, but you know, we talked about Espinal running away with second base. Do you think it's possible that when rosters shrink, I mean, Zach Hollins, I think it'd be tough to find him down in the minors at the end of the month when rosters shrink with the way he's swinging it right now. But I mean, is he kind of the guy that can step in and be uh, a left-handed bat and play some backup first base over a guy like um, Kevin Biggio who can move all over the place? I guess the only thing is we've already got so many left-handed bats to begin with. Like somebody's going to have to go. Um, at the end of the month, you would think. And um, Taylor Heineman, obviously, up here as well, who I think everybody kind of forgets is still uh, on the active roster. But when Teoscar returns, I mean, there's going to be a roster squeeze. We know some guys in the bullpen are going to be um, sent out as well. But I mean, we're, I guess, you know, where does Kevin Biggio fit in all of this? Uh, you know, it's like kind of, I guess, a conversation more about his fit on this team as opposed to uh, the, the issues that he's going through right now. Where do you stand on? Well, I think like, in a perfect world, he's a Swiss army knife who plays all over the place, but that is kind of part and parcel if he's hitting. And right now he's not hitting. He's got one, I believe one hit on the season. He's hitting 043 with a 257 OPS and he hit a ball hard today on Sunday, but you need to start seeing some tangible results other than while well, working a full count and then going down, looking or swinging or grounding into the shift, which he's done a bunch of times. I think we're getting closer to a point where he is a possible casualty off the roster because he's got options and you just say, well, kind of go down to triple a and get a reset going and some consistent at bats and just put together some positive results. Even if it's, it's against triple a pitching, just get that feel back where you're having multiple hit games, where you're getting on base, where you're actually 
having just positive vibes really in your game. And right now that's not really happening. And if you ask me that question, like if I had to pick between Collins and Biggio, even though Biggio gives you more defensive versatility and I, I'm still like not just going to willingly say, well, Cam Biggio can't be a, a good major leaguer ever again. Right now, Zach Collins has to be the guy. If you are picking between the two and it comes down to it, which I don't know if that, that's necessarily going to be the case, but if it does, Collins, you figure it out, even if it hurts you a little bit defensively, he's not great at first base. He doesn't have major league experience. You know, you just figure out how to get by. You give him some DH, some pinch hit opportunities. And, you know, you live with the results of his bat at the moment being better than Biggio's. And if the pendulum swings, you know, Biggio does happen to go down to AAA and is hitting and Collins cools off, well, then you can make a swap and Biggio can come back up and then maybe Collins can go down and, and play some sort of catcher first base DH type role at AAA. Yeah, it's just a situation right now where you're trying to win and rack up as many W's as you can and you got to go with the guys that are providing value right now and Zach Collins as we touched on is just providing way more value especially with the bat than a guy like Kevin Biccio at this point so uh, it's gonna be interesting to see what the Blue Jays do uh, at the end of the month when the rosters do shrink back down but uh, we'll talk more about that after it does happen you touched on the bullpen which has been one of the better bullpens in uh, all of major league baseball so far this season a tough one as we uh, talked about but jordan romano blowing that first save and i guess we can start with him josh there was you know some concern last week with his velocity being down and then the first uh, game in houston he comes out throwing 98 touching 99 miles an hour um, striking out hitters and looking like the old uh, jordan romano but the guy's been working a ton so far this season. He's up there in the major league lead with uh, eight saves. So that's been a big part of it. They have needed him to win a lot of these bowl ga- uh, ball games to shut things down. But, you know, do you have concerns about the uh, the workload so far for Jordan Romano? We've seen uh, Jimmy Garcia. We've seen, you know, Adam Simber get some work later in games. Obviously, uh, Garcia has experience at the back end. Um, but, you know, Tim Meza last year closed out a game. And I know we were banging the drum for more Tim Meza opportunities. But, you know, Romano, with the amount of workload he has, he's never pitched more than 63 innings at the major league level since converting to a relief pitcher. He has, you know, battled some injuries here and there. Uh, do you have concerns that, you know, uh, even though we just talked about it, you're trying to win as many ball games, you want to make sure Jordan Romano gets to October. Uh, you're, you don't want to have a situation where the guy's blowing out in, you know, May and June, and then you're not scrambling because you have some options right now. But I think the Blue Jays might want to be a little bit more cautious about, you know, using a guy like Jordan Romano, what, like three times in four days, four times in five days. Like it's, it's a lot right now. And if he can go, he can go. I'm not saying that, you know, he's being overworked in the sense that, you know, he's not a hundred percent and the Blue Jays are just throwing him out there because he's their closer. They obviously are taking a lot of care to make sure that he is, you know, feeling good when he's out on the mound. But uh, it does, you know, concern me a little bit just with how much he's pitched so far in April, especially with the short spring train. Yeah, no question. Like, I think that the biggest concern is just this level of workload off of a spring, a short spring, you know, could make you more susceptible to injuries, but like extrapolating it over the course of the long haul, I don't think I'm that concerned because it's just, early season the projected number of innings like the stats if you try and you know calculate it out to 162 based on what's happened it's kind of a fool's errand and the season isn't going to continue with the jays playing basically a one-run game seemingly every day and having to use their high leverage relievers i know it's not ideal that that's what's happened so far 
but you're finding ways to win. And that, like we are going to continue to say, is the most important thing. It's the only thing that really matters this year is maximizing your opportunities to win and put yourself in the best possible position for the division and obviously to make the playoffs. But he's not going to appear in, you know, five games a week uh, going forward. It's just not going to happen. The bats are going to start getting going. It's only a matter of time. I continue to to hammer that home. Like I've had some people, you know, trying to say, well, what if they're not as good as they were last year? Well, maybe they aren't quite as good, but is there any possible way that this isn't at the very worst, at the very least, a top 10 offensive unit by most categories at the end of the season? And I think we can all probably agree that it would be an absolute catastrophe, shock, disaster if that wasn't the case. And they've still been you know, better than league average, uh, generally speaking, in, in a lot of categories, and they still haven't really put it together yet. And a lot of guys are scuffling. So once that happens, it's not a question of if it's when that starts happening, you're not going to find yourself in these four, two, four, three, five, four type ball games where you're using Garcia and you're using Richards and Simber and Romano and Mesa and what have you uh, Phelps every single game, you're going to have your starting pitchers going six or seven, your offense scoring nine runs and winning a nine, two ball game. There haven't been too many of those. I feel pretty confident that those are going to happen. And Jordan Romano is going to start to see way less work in a short period of time than we've seen from him in the first two and a half weeks of the season. And offense is down across the league. So it's not as if it's just a Blue Jays thing. And we know they've had some issues with runners and scoring positions so far. But as we remember, you go back to last season, there was a stretch where they really struggled at two. It's such a high variant thing, right? I mean, hitting is so tough to begin with trying to hit with runners on base. Sometimes you're going to get hits. Sometimes you're not going to get a hit. And that's sort of the, you know, the rut that the Blue Jays have been going through at times during this stretch. But it's funny because we're, we're talking about struggles with the offense. We're talking about some, uh, you know, injuries to this team. But as we have to get back to the point from the start of the show, they're four games over 500. Like they, you, you, if you tuned into the show right now and you listen to us talking about uh, this yeah. team, you would think they were six and 10, but they are 10 and six, despite all of these issues and problems that they've gone through so far. So like you said, with some regression coming, you would think with hitting with runners in scoring position and guys, you know, really not swinging it right now when they finally do, because they have a track record of being very good major league hitters. Uh, the sky's the limit for this team. So it is still really exciting to uh, think of the potential of where this team could be in a few weeks, a few months when they really start to pick things up offensively and get back some of their big players from the injured list. One guy that has been a big time player so far this season has been Kevin Gossman, who had one of the better starts in recent Blue Jays history, I would say, throwing eight uh, innings against the uh, Red Sox. Eight Ks came out for the ninth inning in that one. Jordan Romano ended up giving up a a hit to allow a runner to score. But I think that might have been one of the most stress-free starts I think I can remember in a long time, Josh, for a Blue Jays pitcher. He was just dominating the Red Sox. And that splitter was disgusting. The fastball was touching 96. I tweeted it, I think it was during the ball game or maybe prior to the ball game, but coming into the game, Kevin Gossman had the highest chase rate among all starting pitchers in Major League Baseball. And it was at like 50%. And then after that game, it went up even more. It's now at 60%, which is just absolutely outrageous. His chase rate last year was 35% to just give you a sense of how absurd that is. 
I don't know if it's a case of, you know, him being in the National League the last couple of years because we do have interleague games. It's not as if, you know, the Red Sox and some of these other teams haven't seen him in recent years. But just it just feels like everybody's guessing when they come up to the plate against Kevin Gossman right now because he's added in the slider now to right-handed hitters. You're going to get the fastball. You're going to get the splitter. You're going to get the changeup now. I mean, his stuff is just off the charts, and it just really looks like no one has a clue as to what to do right now when they come to the plate against Kevin Gossman. Yeah, it's been really impressive. Like You're right. That was one of the better starts just in terms of uh, how effortless it seemed. He was just keeping a, a really good hitting lineup completely off balance like they were befuddled there were some really really rough swings where they just seemingly had you know no chance and like a 60 percent chase rate that's not gonna you know that's not gonna withstand over the the course of the season but i like he could be in the high 30s again or or, or maybe up around 40 percent, which is elite and he's gonna get swings and misses when his splitter's on and that's been the key is his splitter is much more consistent now. Like he doesn't have that many outings where he has a bad splitter where it just kind of tumbles and doesn't, you know, bottom out and it just hangs up there a little bit and is more hittable. Like he's going to have some of those starts. There's just going to be the unfortunate reality of throwing a pitch like that. There are going to be some, some days where it just isn't there, but I still think that by and large, he is going to give you at least a chance to win. If not, you know, more than that pitching six plus innings durable, you know, a third time through the order. I think he's a candidate uh, to do that more often than not. He's exactly what you were hoping for when you gave him that contract. And like, I, I saw you tweeted it out uh, after, I guess it was Robbie Ray's. I know he started recently against the Royals, but I guess he had a rougher start against the White Sox. And it gets early in the season, but his velo's down. He's not getting quite as many swings and misses. I thought that that was a, a prudent move by the Blue Jays. Like I thought that Kevin Gosman's track record and his repertoire and his stuff was a better long-term investment than Robbie Ray's, you know, fastball slider. Obviously, he was excellent last year, but there are a history of command issues. I would rather bet on Gosman over a five-year deal than Robbie Ray. And we're only talking about three starts here. But it looks early on like the Blue Jays had a good intuition over, you know, how, how each of these guys might age going forward and who would be a better fit for their team. And they made the bet on Gosman. And I feel like it's going to end up being a pretty safe, strong, smart bet. No, I will admit, I mean, I wasn't planning on it, but I guess the Robbie Ray stats were a bit of a cheap shot because I did have some people say, well, one of the games he was pitching in a monsoon and yeah. uh, agreed. Like, uh, that's tough conditions for anyone. Uh, the first start of the year against Minnesota, the stat line looked decent. Seven innings, one earned run, but he did have four walks. Uh, it started to look a little bit like the old Robbie Ray. And his last time out against Texas, six innings, two earned runs, um, four strikeouts and a walk. Definitely the, the one of the better performances so far in his first three, but it's it's the, the Texas Rangers who have like two good hitters and are a pretty terrible team. And those two good hitters aren't even hitting well. Marcus Semien and Corey Seager are really struggling at the dish. So wasn't exactly a murderer's row that uh, Robbie Ray was pitching against. Now, would I or you of anyone been disappointed if the Blue Jays re-signed Robbie Ray? No. no. Like, uh, they tried, right? It's not as if they didn't try. Like, they had conversations with him. It just didn't work out for one reason or another. And Kevin Gossman, they decided to uh, go with. And uh, definitely no regrets for anyone at this point with the way Kevin Gossman has been pitching. On the flip side, you've got Kevin Gossman 
Gossman pitching well, and you say Kikuchi's still uh, a mystery among Blue yeah. Jays fans and among, I imagine, the Blue Jays front office themselves. The first start of the season was pretty trash against the uh, New York Yankees. The next time out against Boston definitely was a lot better. Didn't start great, but he ends up going five innings, giving up just one earned run, pitches himself out of trouble. And then the start against Houston uh, finds himself in trouble once again, is unable to get out of the fourth inning. I think we all knew that coming into the year, Josh, it was going to be a work in progress with Kikuchi and the Blue Jays obviously brought him in because they feel like he has the tools to be able to figure it out a la Robbie Ray, who obviously was uh, kind of floating in the wind and then found Pete Walker and figured it out. But kind of this kind of reminds me of Robbie Ray, to be honest with you. Like when Robbie Ray first came over from Arizona in that uh, midseason trade, it wasn't great. And I heard a lot of people... I mean, look, I'm not, I don't want to put you on blast, but I know you weren't exactly the biggest fan of, you know, Robbie Ray pitching that second half of the year because it was kind of a, a circus and it didn't look great. But I always kind of held the faith that maybe it would work out. Did I think he was going to win the AL Cy Young? Of course not. But, you know, he's a guy that had the tools to figure it out and he did. So I'm kind of looking at Kikuchi as the same. Like, I don't, it's not fun watch, to be honest. Like some of these starts, it's been pretty gross, but I just feel let's give it some time and maybe in a few months we're talking a different tune. So where, where do you land on Kikuchi at this point? Yeah. Like I'm, I'm still feeling fine about it. You're right. It has not been an enjoyable watch. He's a slow worker. You know, he, I find sometimes when he's not sharp, he kind of nibbles a little bit and maybe he doesn't have a lot of conviction with his stuff. And, you know, I, I looked at today on Sunday, his ability like he just wasn't throwing his fastball enough. Like it was, I think, 40% fastball usage, and he threw his cutter 36% of the time. And like in the first start against the Yankees, the fastball was in the 30s, and then it, I think it was up around 50%. And I understand you're not just going to pump fastball after fastball against major league hitters. It's not going to work. But the fastball has to be his primary pitch. That's the one that he has to trust and utilize the most to set up his slider, which I think is very good when it's on. And then that split change as well. I don't want to see him throwing. I think he threw, he threw 28 cutters against the Astros. And the one he threw to Michael Brantley was horseshit. It was a complete (laughs) just cement mixer. He flipped it right in there. It was horrible. Like, I don't really know what the the choice was there and, and who called it, why you threw it. Uh, in that situation, I think that there's an element of, well, they're kind of trying to figure it out. And he, you know, is still trying to tinker a little bit and he doesn't want maybe want to get rid of the cutter completely. And they're just going to continue working away to find the mix that complements him the best. And I just would always caution, like, I know that there's a lot of, well, this guy's horrible. Get this bum out of here. He sucks. I don't want to see him. It's a horrible contract. I see those takes all the time. Maybe that ends up being right. But we're talking about three starts here. Like you can't make that kind of declaration this early on. It's just, it's it's way too early, especially when you have the raw stuff that he has. Like that fastball, he dotted 96 on the inside corner to Alvarez. That right there, that's why you want, you say Kikuchi in your rotation. That's why the Blue Jays went out and signed him because he has that ability. It was why he was an American League All-Star last year. Yeah, he has some issues that I think get him into trouble, but it's incumbent on him and the Blue Jays, you know, Pete Walker and Matt Bushman and whoever else to figure out a way to just get him more consistent. But yeah, I'm not getting off the the wagon here after three 
not very good, inconsistent, whatever you want to call them shitty, I guess you could call them too. If you wanted to start, I'm still going to continue saying we're good here. Like trust the process. He will figure it out. They will figure it out. And more than anything, trust the stuff because the stuff plays and it's just a question of maximizing what makes him good as opposed to, you know, what makes him not good. And again, look, he's a guy that came in to pitch at the back end of this rotation. I mean, yeah. anything you get from him is great. They, they signed him to this three-year deal. I mean, you know, I don't think they are happy that he's only able to go four innings, five innings every start. He's still building up, of course. But, you know, I, I think people have maybe too high expectations for a guy that at least historically hasn't put up uh, amazing numbers. If he pitches like he did a season ago, I know it was more of like a tale of two halves where he was really good in the first half and just straight hot garbage in the second half. But through the whole season, a 4-4-1 ERA, I mean, I'm going to take that from my yes. number five star. I mean, some starts are going to be great. Some starts are going to be bad. And I will gladly take that for a, a guy like you say, Kikuchi. I think it's really just consistency. I think people want to see more consistency as opposed to these, you know, roller coaster rides that we've been on so far through these first three starts of the season coming up as always we will give out our teoscars for player of the week but uh, time to get to listener questions and you can always reach us on twitter at dfa underscore pod we had a lot of reaction this week uh, from the twitter sphere so it was tough to be honest to uh, try to pick out some questions for this week i'm hesitant to call it the mailbag everybody calls it the mailbag we uh, need a different name uh, for it josh so uh, maybe we'll come up with one yeah we got to think for, of that. for next week but uh, let's get straight to the listener questions we begin with veronica who on Twitter asked, should the Blue Jays consider getting another starting pitcher if Ryu continues to underperform? This is presuming Pearson will be a long man like Stripling when he returns given his injury struggles. And I think that's a pretty good presumption that uh, Nate Pearson probably could end up being a multi-inning pitcher. He is obviously building his way back from uh, his battle with mononucleosis. And we'll see where things go with Ryu. I know John Heyman put out a tweet saying the uh, thought is maybe he'd miss two to three starts. So um, we'll see. Uh, Always difficult to uh, put a prognosis on uh, something like a forearm issue with Hunjin Ryu. But I think if we're looking at the Blue Jays adding a pitcher, Josh, at any point, it's going to be closer to the trade deadline. Um, You know, teams are not making deals at this time of the year, uh, especially with starting pitching. And the Blue Jays, you know, have uh, guys that can fill in right now. Ross Stripling into the starting rotation and all the other four slots are are filled. So, you know, I think it's too early to be talking about that. But who knows if uh, a couple of guys, knock on wood, go down not saying they're necessarily going to go out right away and add someone, but maybe sooner rather than later. But at this point, yeah, I think we're looking more towards a midseason trade deadline. Yeah. Very difficult to make trades like that for impact starting pitching uh, options. It's just, it's, it's way too early. Like we're talking about how the sample size is just not there for really anyone. So teams, I just don't think aren't making declarations one way or the other about what they are or aren't, or what players are or aren't or aren't or taking positions uh, one way or the other. So like, I, I think before anything before June would be surprising. And even June could be early considered early uh, in some respects. So I think you just, hope for the best in terms of guys saying healthy Ryu coming back and stripling. I, I thought he was pretty good on Friday night, you know, like had one bump in the road, but I thought by and large did a pretty good job against a, an Astros lineup that I know has struggled to start the season, but still is a quality lineup with a lot of really good hitters. And 
a lot of the the bones of a team that has made it to the American League Championship Series every year since 2017. So I, I've been encouraged, and he was good against Oakland uh, as well. So I think he's a perfectly solid fifth starter, and it was a really nice luxury to have him as kind of that swing guy, that long man. They might have moved to a six-man rotation. They probably were going to before Ryu got hurt, and hopefully Ryu can come back. Maybe you do go to a six-man rotation for a period of time to try and keep guys fresh. Depends how maybe your top guys feel about another day of uh, of rest baked in. Not necessarily sure that some of them are going to be that keen on it. But yeah, in terms of actually going externally to add another starting pitcher, we're a long way, I think, from that happening. Yeah, I think so as well. Um, it's possible the Blue Jays uh, add someone uh, come trade deadline, but uh, it's definitely a conversation to be had way down the road. Uh, one person that has been the talk of uh, Blue Jays nation for the wrong reasons has been Bo Bichette, Josh, who has just not been able to get things going so far at the plate, had a couple of errors as well in the series against the uh, Houston Astros. His OPS all the way down to 529 has just uh, one homer and two doubles. So that much uh, extra base pop from a guy who definitely can uh, show that uh, ability from time to time. Uh, one person wants to know, uh, Santiago on uh, Twitter says, Bo looks like he's swinging out of his shoes on his misses. Do you think this is causing his barrel to miss or are they unrelated and it just looks bad? And a reader's heaven tweets us, says, what is going on with the conundrum that is Bo Bichette? His bat is quiet. Surely that will improve. And his fielding goes from high quality to diabolical within minutes, costing us runs and games. What do we take from his opening few weeks? So uh, like I said, a lot of people want to know what the deal is right now with uh, Bo Bichette. What are you seeing? I don't take that much from it. I know people like, I, I, I don't know if it's tongue in cheek or people just are the way that they are sometimes on Twitter. I've seen people send him down to AAA or like, he's garbage. He's brutal. Like, I, I don't even really know how to wrap my head around that. Like, honestly, I, I take the first few weeks and I flush them down the toilet. I, I, they've been bad. Are they a precursor to a bad season? I suppose anything's possible, but I'm not, even close to saying that like he's been a really good player his entire career and yeah like we've talked about there have been some stretches where it hasn't been great and this is the type of player he is he can be confounding where uh, for a couple of weeks he's tears the world apart and is hitting 400 over a 25 game stretch and then there's a 20 game stretch where he's hitting a buck 40 and he's striking out a ton He's a free swinger. He's always going to be a free swinger. I think it's just time to accept the fact that that's who he is and you live with the results. And I still think that the results after 162 games are going to be very good as opposed to 15 to 20 games that could be bad at or, or really good at any stretch. That's just a type of player he is. And it lends to that kind of, you know, stretches of volatility and that it, it just is what it is like trying to change it at this point or all of a sudden getting really upset about it. It's just, well, were you upset, you know, at any other point during his first couple of seasons where he's gone through this, like, or is it just because it's prisoner of the moment early in the season to me, he's exactly the same player. He's always been, he's just kind of cold right now. His, uh, his profile, his approach is leading to some lean times right now. But why would we think that that's just going to continue? He's going to put it together and he's going to be able to make contact because 
that's what he's done. Like he finds ways to make contact, even when he's behind in the count sometimes, even when he makes bad swings, he just finds ways to make contact. And then, you know, like he runs hot, he runs cold, a hot streak is coming. I, I couldn't be more confident and sure of it. Like it's coming probably in short order and uh, it's going to be very nice to see and will probably help the Blue Jays win a lot of baseball games. So Bo Bichette has been a major league, uh, sorry, a pro baseball player now since uh, 2016 when he was 18 years old. He has uh, never had an OPS under 796 until now where it's sitting at, you know, 539. Did he all of a sudden just at the age of 24, just become a terrible baseball player? Like that's highly, I don't think so. It's highly unlikely. So yeah. I'm not saying that this stretch has been great by any means. I mean, we saw him swing at some wild pitches uh, in that series against Houston. I think what was it? Brian Abreu, I think threw him a slider that was like, a foot off the plate. Yeah, and he just great. was yeah. waved over it. Lot, yeah. uh, the couple of errors, of course, but I think it's the case with anyone. Like when they're going bad, it looks awful. And when they're going great, it looks amazing. And right now he is going through one of the tougher stretches that he has uh, gone through at the beginning of a season. He's gone through these stretches in the middle of a year, but uh, right now, it's uh, just a tough watch. And like you said, uh, he's going to figure it out eventually. Always has. He's an aggressive player, plays an aggressive style. And uh, right now just does not look particularly good. But uh, if he continues to go this way, well, then we're going to have to have a different conversation about uh, what exactly the issue is with uh, Bo Bichette. But uh, doesn't look like he's injured, so it's not like he's fighting anything at this point. It's just a situation where the Blue Jays are going to give him time to uh, figure it out. Um, you know, Charlie Montoya talked a lot about this at the beginning of last year when guys were scuffling. Like, are you worried about the offense? Like, you know, are you going to move some guys around? He was like, no. And it worked out. The Blue Jays ended up being one of the better offenses in all of baseball. And I feel kind of similar to this where, you know, we just talked about some other players that are not uh, swinging it well um, either. You know, Alejandro Kirk is a guy we've talked a lot about too. And he's a different case because his track record at the major league level is not the same as Bo Bichette, but he's a guy that's hit everywhere he's gone in pro ball. So, you know, feels like he has, you know, gonna, he is going to figure it out at some point um, as well. But Bo Bichette, uh, definitely very low, I would say, on my uh, list of concerns at this point, because yeah. he uh, will one way or another get things done by the end of the season. Speaking of the catcher position, uh, Adam wants to know Gabriel Moreno call up predictions and uh, also adds who has surprised you in a good way and who are you actually worried about? Let's begin with the uh, Gabriel Moreno stuff and uh, taking a look at his numbers as it stands following Sunday's action. 724 OPS now down in AAA with the Bisons, an average of 286, uh, you know, was uh, over like 900, sitting over 1,000 just very recently. It's small sample size early on in the season, so those numbers are going to fluctuate. But, you know, Josh, uh, I know you've been retweeting a lot of the videos from Twitter every time he hits a frozen rope uh, into the outfield or, you know, throws a guy out at second base. Like, we've seen some pretty flashy highlights so far. The talk has sort of died down a little bit, especially with a guy like Zach Collins swinging it right now, despite the uh, issues with Alejandro Kirk at the plate. But your prediction on uh, Gabriel Moreno, has it uh, changed at all with what you've seen so far in the early parts of this season? It's a really tough one because I, I do think that odds are his bat is ready to handle major league pitching. But what's the priority? Like, you know, if the priority is winning games, he probably makes you a better lineup, but is it risk? Is it worth the, I don't even know if I would call it a risk, but are you just better served by allowing him to 
you know, build his way up to catching five times a week at the uh, AAA level and then being able to do that at the major league level. Some people think that he's a third baseman of the future anyways. Like, I don't know if I'm there yet. It could entirely end up being the case, but I'm still looking at him right now as a catcher uh, for the immediate future. Like, I, I do think that we see him up here at some point. I think it's probably not until the second half of the season because I just think between Jansen Kirk and now the legend that is Zach Collins, I just think that there's enough there considering the scope of this club and what you're looking for from the catcher position that they can more than get by. They can be successful with that trio or two of those three or whatever it is and allow Moreno to just really get comfortable as a professional playing at AAA, managing a staff, and then, you know, being very, very ready for the inevitable call-up, which I think is coming at some point in uh, 2022. Like, I would be surprised if we don't see him at some point wearing a Blue Jays uniform this season. Yeah, especially if he can uh, turn things around and be uh, just a consistent ball player. I mean, uh, on the uh, defensively and at the plates, I mean, the Blue Jays you know, obviously haven't seen him at this level yet. It's the first time he's uh, gone to AAA, play on a consistent basis. Obviously, he got there last year, but it wasn't uh, much of a sample size for him and uh, for them to see. As far as the uh, surprises, good and bad so far this year, uh, where do you land? And I think for me, Zach Collins, I mean, how can you not be surprised with the uh, job that he has done so far? As far as the regulars go, I really don't have a ton of you know people in work about as we touched on like Bo Bichette I think he's going to figure it out I think Alejandro Kirk is better than the 591 OPS um, that he has so I guess if I'm looking at someone I don't know if I'm like worried about but you know Julian Merriweather's my guy and yeah. uh, I'm hoping maybe he can figure it out and look more like the guy we saw last year because you know he's still touching 99 from times but whether it's the sticky stuff or you know injuries dealing with that knee issue right now wearing that brace like I don't feel as confident about him like I did at the beginning of last year when he dominated in New York for <laughs> some outings there. Like my expectations have changed a little bit, but like overall concerns, I'm, I'm not really like, you know, crazy about anyone right now. What about you? Yeah. I, I can't say I'm concerned about anyone on a 10 and six team. Like the, the best players are going to be the best players. Like we talked about, like you mentioned uh, with Bichette. So like, as far as concerns go, there's not really anyone that I'm super concerned about and or, or disappointed by or anything like that. And as far as uh, pleasant surprises, Trent Thornton has been good, really good. He's got an ERA at one. I know that that's a sample size. He probably, I think, long term over the course of if he's up here for an extended period of time, however long it is, isn't going to have that much success. I, I still don't think that he misses quite enough bats, but his breaking ball seems to have more life, more movement, more dive. It's getting some more swings and misses. Like there's some stuff when you pop the hood on his numbers, that isn't great. But then there's some other stuff that is like, he hasn't really given up a tremendous amount of hard contact, which is I think sort of been his calling card, like in the bad sense, he has given up a lot of hard contact in his career, especially uh, as a reliever. I don't know if it's anything. It could just be a blip on the radar of a 162 game marathon as we sit here on April 24th talking about it. And May 24th, he could be, I see his ERA three runs or four runs higher and back in AAA. But right now, relative to my expectations, which were 
rock bottom. And I, like, honestly, I wasn't even expecting Trent Thornton to be on the roster this soon. He has come in and done an admirable job. Very, very impressed. Deserves a lot of props. Pitched in leverage spots. Did a nice job for two innings uh, on Friday in relief of Stripling to keep that game manageable. He's on a gold star type performance in the early going from Trent Thornton. Yeah, and I don't know if it's like a stat cast thing, but when you look on fan graphs and you look at his pitch types, uh, he's throwing the slider 33% uh, this year compared to 3% last year, and the cutter has not thrown a single cutter this year when yeah. it was 22% a season ago. So maybe that's just, like you said, he seems to be getting a lot of more lot more movement. So you know, maybe it's the slider, maybe it's the cutter just getting a lot more movement, but they designate it as a slider. He's obviously doing something different this year, and uh, it has worked out so far for Trent Thorne, who, uh, like you said, very low on uh, people that you were thinking of getting anything from so far this year but uh, he's come up big in some uh, performances here to uh, begin this season all right let's uh, get to our Teoscars of the uh, week for our player of the week five candidates we've got Kevin Gossman who dominated in Boston the bullpen as we touched on has been phenomenal so far this year and they were strong again outside of the Jordan Romano blip Matt Chapman prior to Sunday had a seven game hitting streak going he's been playing some great defense as well as uh, we all expected coming into the year Santiago Espinal with uh, two homers uh, in Houston and another RBI double on Sunday. And then Zach Collins with a pair of homers, one in Boston off Nathan Eovaldi, and then that big three-run shot against the Houston Astros. So, Josh, who is your Teoscar of the week? Oh, man. This is tough. Like, I think I'm going to go to Espinal, even though, you know, he didn't have that great of a week in terms of his raw stats. The number of hits that he did have were all huge, clutch, helped keep you either in a ball game, like he the front home run he hit on Friday and then Zimmer ties it up the very next batter. Then there's the, the double, the other home run, like they were monster hits and just a lot of good at bats. And defensively, he deserves his props. Like we talked about earlier, just a really solid week and exactly what you would want from your second baseman on this team, considering the way that this lineup and the way that the, this roster shakes out, he is looking like, an ideal fit for at least this season as the second baseman and uh, really, really good stuff from him this week, full marks. And uh, he gets my, my Tay Oscar. Yeah. Solid choice there. I'm going to go with uh, the group Tay Oscar. I'm going to go with the bullpen and you know, it's crazy. Like we're at a stage here where with this bullpen, it's been a while since the blue Jays have had a pen where they throw anyone out there and you feel pretty good. Obviously, you know, that your confidence level wavers depending on who it is. There are some guys you have lesser confidence in, but you know, the Blue Jays have done a great job, at least of managing their bullpen, you know, despite all the innings that they've had to pitch so far this year. But, you know, whether it's Tim Meza, David Phelps, Simber, Garcia, you know, Thornton, like you mentioned, Merriweather, Rocky, who we saw make his season debut, Trevor Richards, like Jordan Mano, like anybody that comes into the ballgame, you have a level of confidence that they're going to get the job done. Like I outside of Trent Thornton, I guess, at the beginning of the season, you didn't have a guy come in and be like, oh boy, like this is just going to be an abject disaster. Like the Blue Jays are going to just let this game slip away here. Uh, but the bullpen has been phenomenal and they had a, a big week in these wins over the Red Sox and uh, the Astros to help them to this four and two roadie. Uh, so a big week for the Blue Jays as they now come home for uh, four against the Red Sox, three against the uh, Astros this week as their uh, strenuous first month of the season continues. All right, that'll do it for another edition of the Designated for Assignment podcast. As 
always, you can find us on Twitter at DFA underscore pod. Give us a follow there. Rate, review, subscribe wherever you get the podcast. For Josh Goldberg, I'm Rob Wong. We'll talk to you in a week's time.